Here we go. This is another solo Saturday edition of the PFF Daily Betting Podcast. I'm Ben Brown, here to discuss this full-on college football Saturday that we have coming up. We're going to talk about some betting, what I see as the last few decent bets still available at books. We'll also touch on a couple of the marquee matchups, then dive into some of my favorite DFS plays. If we have time at the end, I will also briefly touch on how I approach second-half betting lines and some of my favorite derivative bets coming up for week three of the NFL season. It's an action-packed Saturday edition of the PFF Daily Betting Podcast. Let's get into it. My early week look at this college football slate saw a lot of line movement on the games I wrote up. My favorite bet was on West Virginia against Oklahoma State. This line opened at plus 8.5 for the Mountaineers. 65% of the cash and tickets printed have been on West Virginia, causing this spread to crash through minus 7 down minus 6.5. There are still a few rogue minus 7s available, but essentially we're waiting on the Spencer Sanders news because his availability is still up in the air. The real reason I like West Virginia though is Jarrett Doge, who posted a 93.3 passing grade on 26 attempts against Eastern Kentucky to go along with an 80.8% adjusted completion percentage. If Sanders sits, West Virginia has not only the better quarterback, but also the better defense. I don't mind a money line bet, but I'm waiting to see what the line does when we get official word on Sanders' availability here Saturday morning. Another game where the spread has held steady on is a different game that I wrote up this week the matchup between Georgia Tech at Syracuse. The spread hasn't budged off the 7.5 point opening line. The cash has been all on Syracuse, but we are seeing the majority of tickets siding with Georgia Tech. The Yellow Jackets are the worst team in the ACC according to our ELO rankings, with Syracuse not that much better, just two spots ahead of them. Both teams are poor offensively and have generated negative EPA in both passing and rushing attempts to start the season. Tommy DeVito hasn't particularly impressed either. His 67.6 passing grade is 17 points better than that of Jeff Sims. Sims has more interceptions than touchdowns to start the season, while his 54.5% accuracy rate sits 7th among quarterbacks in the ACC. This is another situation where we're probably getting the better quarterback and the better team at a greater than a touchdown spread. I'm taking the points every time and signing with Syracuse. My money's on Tommy DeVito hopefully at least turning his season around initially for this Week 4 matchup. The game of the week for college football has to be in Auburn, where our 22nd-ranked Kentucky Wildcats take on the 10th-ranked Auburn Tigers. Terry Wilson is looking to make his return after an ACL tear ended his 2019 season early. He is a prolific dual-threat quarterback with all reports out of camp saying he looks better than ever. The betting market seems to be buying in as this line has pushed from an opening print of minus 9 down to minus 7, with some rogue minus 6.5s popping up as we get later in the week. A higher percentage of the cash is siding with the Wildcats as road dogs, but a higher percentage of tickets are on Auburn. It seems to be that Auburn's definitely more of the public side in this in this matchup. Greenline really liked the Wildcats' value when they were at plus 7.5. At 7 or 6.5, it becomes much more difficult to play, with a smaller unit bet on the money line probably being the better approach. We should find out real quick if Bonex is going to take the much-anticipated leap in his sophomore season. My money is on that not occurring, at least not right away, especially in this matchup. Bonix hasn't looked great from a PFF passing grade perspective. If Terry Wilson outplays him, this could be an easy cover for the Wildcats to start their difficult SEC schedule. Another intriguing matchup in the SEC conference is the debut of Mike Leach's air raid offense 
at Mississippi State, taking on the reigning national champion LSU Tigers. Greenline has no real lean on either the spread or total. This is simply a game to possibly enjoy some entertaining football. The 56.5 point total doesn't scream fantasy goodness, but this is definitely a decent target and spot to also look for some DFS action. All four of the listed Mississippi State wide receivers are at $4,000 or less on DraftKings. Kylan Hill is the eighth highest priced running back, but his usage could be questionable in this new look offense. The transfer of KJ Costello seems playable at just $5,900 on DraftKings, even if the Auburn defense is as good as they were last year. He should see plenty of volume in the passing game and makes for a pretty interesting DFS play at only $5,900. The question becomes, what and how many of his wide receivers to pair him with? There's a few different options coming up, but I'll leave that up to you to decide. This should, again, open up the opportunity to play whoever you like at the remaining roster positions if you go with you know, a depressed salary on KJ Costello along with one or two of his wide receiver options. The rest of the 11-game DFS slate offers intrigue as it is filled with options from the Big 12, ACC, and SEC. It is probably safe to completely throw out the Kentucky-Auburn, Army-Cincy, and Duke-Virginia games for DFS purposes because they are significantly lower, total, significantly lower totals than the rest of them. Texas at Texas Tech should see plenty of ownership as the total is 10 points higher than the next closest game. Both Alan Bauman and Sam Ellinger should see quite a bit of ownership. This looks like a decent spot to actually do a game stack as well. Joshua Moore looks like the clear play to stack with Sam Ellinger. In their previous matchup against UTEP, Moore turned 8 targets into 127 yards in a TD. He had a 9.3 average depth of target with 2 explosive plays. It would not be surprising at all to see him as the top owned wide receiver on this main slate. On the Texas Tech side, Eric Uzumkinmama is the highest priced Texas Tech wide receiver. He didn't post a great receiving grade against Houston Baptist, however. He had only four receptions on eight targets with one drop. TJ Vasher, on the other hand, saw 10 targets in that matchup and has always been the wide receiver that I side with at Texas Tech. At a discount, I think he is definitely playable in all formats, and he's probably the one that I'm looking at to not only pair with Alan Bauman or get in on a game stack with Sam Ellinger and Joshua Moore as well. Kansas State at Oklahoma should see plenty of ownership as well. Spencer Rattler could easily be the highest owned quarterback. The question is, does he get four quarters of run or not? This total has held since the open despite 77% of the cash and 82% of the tickets being on the over. As far as the college wide receiver blow up model for DFS, a few players that are popping up are Terrell Jana, who is cheap and should see next to no ownership in one of the lowest scoring games of the afternoon. Terrace Marshall Jr. is the lone skill position holdover from the 2019 National Championship team. He could be a viable, especially in a game stack with Mississippi State if you're looking to play KJ Costello and one or two of his receivers. But this game could also be pretty ugly, so I'm not necessarily sure what side to lean on at this point. But we'll see. There is kind of that lower depressed total, so you might see some lower ownership than we would typically expect from this type of matchup. Tylen Wallace might be dealing with a backup quarterback situation, but would be playable if Spencer Sanders is able to go. Those are the highest three wide receivers according to our blow-up projections. Taj Harris had the highest projected blow-up last week and scored a long touchdown despite only receiving five targets. He is the fourth best play according to our DFS blow-up model. The low total is concerning, along with the early season play of Tommy DeVito still being a significant question mark. So we'll see how that breaks down. Next, I'd like to buy dive into some second-half betting line approaches. The great thing about second-half betting lines is they have the shortest shelf life for any betting option. 
If time and volume wage move lines to a more efficient price, then second half lines are the best when looking for inefficient markets. We can do a lot of studies and various things to look at because there's a lot of theories floating around about what makes for a profitable um, second half line. For example, does taking large second half underdogs actually work? Um, what we've found is that it doesn't happen often, but fading big second half spreads is a profitable strategy based on historical data. These big spreads are often a result of a team underperforming based on their full game spread. So fading a big second half comeback from teams does offer some value. A few other approaches that you can consider when looking at second half lines. Um, they also seem to be that when you're looking at second half lines, totals do stick and stay pretty stagnant to that first or that full game line as opposed to spreads, which can see some adjustment based on what's happened in the first half. So that's just something to keep in mind as far as how correlated um, you know, the various bets are with relation to the full game odds and the first half or second half spreads and totals. Backing underdogs in general does seem like a good approach for second half lines, but this becomes even more apparent when betting second half lines. Backing big underdogs is a worthwhile strategy, especially for second half spreads. There is some truth to taking teams that are up big at halftime, but this isn't that worthwhile and could also be affected by home field advantage elements that we may not see play out too much in the 2020 season. Some people like to pile on when a big favorite is down at halftime. However, this approach seems to be backing, however, the best approach seems to be actually be backing the team that underperformed in the first half, as the market is generally correct on their ability based on the full game spread. Some of the better spots to bet totals are when two teams have struggled to score points in the first half. This is something that can be observed, especially if turnover luck or other factors result in a lower amount of points scored relative to how well the teams actually move the ball. If there have been turnovers in the red zone or drives stalled by failed fourth down attempts, then this is a situation that can be capitalized, capitalized on with a second half over bed. So diving into some of the best week three NFL derivative bets that I like, there are a few different options. Some of the modeling techniques that I use are some of our predictive models based on green line activity. I like to look at that. I like to also look at scripted offensive and defensive uh, EPA per play on their first 15 plays. Um, some teams that are really, really have performed really well to start the season have been the Titans and the Chargers. The Bucks have also done quite well at throwing through their first 15 scripted plays. The Colts have been pretty good in both categories as well. So those are some of the teams that I'm looking to target. Um, when I'm looking at, you know, maybe like first half bets, first half team totals, um, you know, team total, you know, totals in general for the first half. Um, some of the worst defenses from an EPA perspective have been, besides the Jaguars, we've seen uh, the Chiefs have struggled a little bit to start the season on scripted defensive plays. The Panthers have been bad. Uh, the usual suspects of the Eagles, Giants, and Jets have also been pretty poor, especially from a passing perspective um, on the defensive side of the football, allowing a lot of big plays. Uh, to start games. So again, those are some other situations that we can target here. So not only do I like Tennessee um, facing off against the Minnesota Vikings in a full game spread, I also think that their first half line is playable. It's at negative 0.5 right now. Um, the Titans are second in the NFL and EPA generated from scripted passing plays. Though, of course, this is obviously does have some small sample size caveats, but we've seen Ryan Tannehill consistently start games well from the start of 2019 to the current week that we have. Only Russell Wilson has a higher passing grade than Tannehill over this time frame during the first two quarters of the game. Kirk Cousins isn't necessarily as bad as he has shown in 2020, but 
um, he's definitely not been very good either. So I think even though you might be uh, selling the Vikings at the bottom, I do think that the Titans are definitely a worthwhile play, especially on that first half spread that sits at, you know, essentially just right over a pick So I'm definitely t- targeting the Titans in this situation. Another derivative bet that I do also like coming up here is uh, Tampa Bay at Denver. I know Denver has the Jeff Driscoll situation. Jerry Judy's questionable. They might not have any playmakers, any receivers, but I do still think over 21.5 first half is just too low of a number for these two teams. Tampa Bay has been one of the best teams uh, to start the game in their scripted plays. So I'm definitely targeting Tom Brady. We also are getting Chris Godwin back, Um, you know, Basically, at this point, I think if the Bucks are going to be hitting on all cylinders, it's going to happen this week. So I would expect them to hopefully carry this bet. If we can get even, you know, Jeff Driscoll maybe gets a deep turnover in the opposing team's uh, red zone area or something, then we could see a number of points just coming from uh, bad quarterback play as well. So I think that's definitely a viable option. The third and final one that I kind of like, uh, two teams that could potentially be in a letdown spot are the Las Vegas Raiders traveling all the way to New New England, of course. The Raiders are coming off pretty impressive performance, uh, taking on and beating the Saints at home. New England looked uh, probably a lot better than what people would have expected, being able to actually almost keep pace and almost finish off Seattle at on the road last on last Sunday night's game. So um, another situation where I think maybe we go against the market in this situation, I kind of like the under 23.5 first half bet for these two teams think this game might start kind of slow uh, neither team is really bad offensively from a scripted plays perspective but neither of them actually really jump off the page either so this is definitely a spot where our predictive models are kind of leaning towards the under for the full game I think it might even be a better approach or bet to actually be on that first half under 23.5 so we'll see it's going to be a fun Saturday slate of college football action we also of course have a ton of Sunday games coming up as well in the the NFL. So this is going to be a great week. I hope uh, you guys tune into all of the marquee matchups and actions coming up. Uh, so this will be fun. It'll be a lot of fun here. So this was Ben Brown on the PFF Daily Betting Podcast. We talked about some of the best bets coming up for college football Saturday slate of games. We talked a little bit of DFS. Uh, we discussed just, a, you know, a couple approaches to second half spreads and totals that you can see targeting of course they have the short shelf life so maybe they're not um, as worthwhile to generate content from but they are still probably some of the most profitable markets that you can wager on just due to the lack of time the lack of time that they are actually posted so we'll see and then of course we talked about uh, some of the best derivative bets that you can make for nfl week three action so this has been a lot of fun i appreciate you guys tuning in hope to hear from you soon thanks